0: Well, it is a pleasure, a privilege to be here again. Um, thank you for allowing us time in the uh, Sunday School hour before this to, um, to share. Um, I just wanted to give a brief overview for those who were uh, not here or maybe uh, were not able to hear all of that presentation, just a little bit about uh, what we're doing again. Um, And maybe pick up some things that I might have missed. So my job uh, with Seed Company is uh, to be a Bible translation consultant, which looks really good on a business card, but doesn't really explain what it is that we're doing. And it's probably there's probably a good reason for that um, somewhere. But uh, and Seed Company uh, doesn't really sound very much like a ministry. It's funny uh, I've got a LinkedIn page, and I get all kinds of requests from people who are in agriculture. Uh, that keep wanting to connect with me because I'm with the seed company. Um, but, of course, we're sowing a different kind of seed than the seed that they have. And uh, I think there's also a, a, probably a, a goal of keeping a low profile because a lot of the countries that we are reaching are in the uh, the 1040 window. They're in uh, areas that are closed to traditional missionary work, whatever traditional missionary work is. I'm not quite sure what that is, but... Um, where you go in and you say, I'm a missionary. and so, stuff. Um, so, Oseed Company is an affiliate of Wycliffe Bible Translators, was founded by Wycliffe Bible Translators in the uh, mid-90s to accelerate Bible translation. That's because uh, somebody did the math, and they, uh, they they realized that a couple, when they go out, an expatriate couple would go, they'd learn a language. It uh, seemed like it was always in Papua New Guinea. All the languages that... Those people, I just, I always wondered how many missionaries could possibly go to one country. It seemed like they were all going to Papua New Guinea. Um, And uh, because there's so many languages there, they would go, they'd learn a language, and in about 40 years, they could produce a Bible in that language. Maybe 15 years, they could do a New Testament. 40 years total, they could do a, a Bible. And somebody did the math, and they realized that at that rate, it would take 150 years before we could see the last Bible translation project started. And uh, that just wasn't going to be acceptable. That there had to be a better way to do this more efficiently and to use the resources that God had given us uh, to uh, do Bible translation faster. And so the Seed Company was founded uh, with the mandate to find a way to do it more efficiently and um, and better. And so what we do is we uh, help Uh, Native translators, people who speak their indigenous language as natives, uh, they translate the Bible into their language using a language of wider communication. So in Nigeria, it's often English. Sometimes it's Hausa, sometimes it's Yoruba, uh, sometimes it's one of the other trade languages there. They translate into their language. Then they back translate into a language that uh, I, as a consultant, can read. So they'll back translate into English. But it's a wooden interlinear style of English that reads like their language in English. So I'm reading basically Kuche English or something. And uh, then that's what I use to check their translation against the Greek and Hebrew text, the Aramaic text of uh, the Bible. And so uh, I guess one of the questions that could come up, and I I haven't been asked this, but, you know, is how often do I find uh, something that needs to really be addressed? And the reality is every verse. Every verse we really need to work on. I do work with every verse. Um, There's 303 verses in Hebrews that I'm getting ready to check with a, a team in southern Mexico here uh, at the end of this week. I'm going to be going down. Uh, please be praying for that. There are 303 verses, 13 chapters, and uh, I've, I've seen between four and six things that I need to ask them for about every verse uh, to make sure that they're being faithful to the Word of God and conveying what the Word of God says. Um, because the Word of God is quick, is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged... Ah, by the way, in their translation it says uh, sharper, more cutting than a machete with two edges, right? It's uh, so that was one of my questions. Is you know that's that's a really interesting translation. Uh, you're the first ones to hear that that's what their translation says. Uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know that's either really good news. that's really bad news. That God, uh, if if our heart is renewed in Jesus Christ, you know, that should be good news as our heart is renewed. The thoughts and the intents of the heart being brought more and more into conformity with Jesus Christ. What an exciting thing uh, that is. And uh, I wanted to share um, also a little bit here. Another, uh, I gave some examples in the Um, the earlier service here. I hope this is on. Um. Yeah, okay. So, um, this is uh, uh, one of the the back translations here that I was working with in uh, the Mahmali language here in uh, Nepal. That's actually not the real name of the language. That's the code name of the language. Uh, I can't share that publicly, what that is. Um, for the safety of the team, so that they—that's uh, not public knowledge. But um, so here, um, very well-known passage of someone to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So they came up with, if someone takes your shirt, then let him have your—well, they your pants. It says paint up there. They had a little difficulty with. Uh, English, like we all do have uh, problems spelling English, but uh, if they take your shirt, let them have your pants. So is that a good translation or not? I don't think that's really the idea there. Um, I put down unintentionally humorous, because uh, it's really not the idea, but they they just had one piece of clothing. They didn't have a cloak and a tunic, so they thought that was good until we talked about it a little bit. Um, so as we were working through this Uh, passage actually you'll you'll recognize that this is right in that same section where jesus is uh, delivering the beatitudes and this is uh, what esv has to say again well-known passage blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets, the back translation of this—well, actually, that's the, that's what their language actually looks like. Um, here's the back translation, and uh, it says here in verse 22: uh, If you believe, if you do believe at me, the Son of Man, then people dislike you, reject you from the village, and insult your name as evil. You will be blessed. In that time, be happy. Jump. It says leap for joy, right? Jump. Because, behold, in the heaven there has been prepared a big home for you. Because long years ago, prophets, <coughs> prophets uh, were also suffered by the people who were the ancestors of them, or made to suffer by the people who were the ancestors. And I want to focus, uh, we, we spent some time on verse 22. You can notice it up here. Uh, I think I've got a slide. Um, nope, sorry. Let's go back. One, Okay. So in verse 22, we spent some time on blessed are you when people exclude you. That's what ESV says in verse 22. I've underlined there. Blessed are you when people reject you from the village. So I wasn't sure uh, here if they were adding something. Maybe they were adding an idea from the village there. You know, maybe that really wasn't appropriate. Again, we we, we have to be faithful to the word of God. And... Um, so I looked up the, the Greek expression and uh, discovered, and in, in, um, by the way, this is BDAG here, Mike, uh, that the word here means to remove one party from other parties, It was to dis- discourage or eliminate contact. And it actually had a note about this verse, and it said that a good translation might be excommunicate. So blessed are you when people excommunicate you. And um, so we decided that, that driving you out from the village taking you out of an area of contact with people. That probably was a pretty good translation of the idea here. And the team responded. They said, you know, that's really good because uh, this will be a huge encouragement to our people when they follow Christ. I said, well, well, why is that? What happens when your people follow Christ? They said, well, uh, in our country, uh, you are, you're expected to be buddhist now uh, this is a country that is uh, 0.2% 0.2% professing christian and when you accept christ in our village they said um, you'll be beaten if you don't renounce christ at that point you will be uh, probably driven from the village you'll be driven from your land your land will then revert back to the village you won't have a place to live um You face hatred, you face insults um, and um, you lose everything. Blessed are you when people drive you from the village. I said, this is fantastic because this is exactly what will happen to you if you accept Christ in our country the uh, The language there is the Mahmali language. You know what the last name of each of these translators was? Mahmali It's the same as their language name. It doesn't necessarily mean they're part of the same uh, family, although some of them were. But they're so closely associated with their culture that they officially take on the name of their people group as their last name. That's what they lose when they accept Christ. Their very identity is taken from them. Well, I should say that, uh, you know, when they they sign a government document, they they can't change it legally. So they have insult to injury added because every time they sign their name to a government document, they're reminded that uh, they don't live there anymore. They're not really part of that group, and really they can't claim that last name anymore, even though it really is the one that they were born with. I could not help but remember something that I had read that Martin Luther had said he said a, a, a religion that gives nothing that costs nothing and that suffers nothing is worth nothing I'll, I'll modify that a little bit I, I think there's more to it I, I imagine that what uh, Luther actually said was um, a faith that gives nothing that costs nothing and that suffers nothing is is worth nothing and while it is it is not my place, and I'm not going to, to dare to do that now, to try to evaluate how much the faith of these Mahmali translators is worth, I would dare say that their faith is worth quite a bit. They have suffered, they have paid, it costs much. And what was their response? we got to get more of the Word of God into the hands of our people. Um... You know, there are those moments where you sit there in the presence of people that you're working with. And I mean, I, I felt like this, you know, I felt like, you know, you're, you're asking me to help you. <laughs> uh, would you please come and teach some classes for me? I'd like to, I'd like to learn from you. Uh, the other thing that I, I, um, I was reminded of was First Peter chapter 4. And, and Mike mentioned appropriately, this is a, this is a difficult passage. But I think you'll see the connection. Uh, he says, First Peter, he, he's encouraging the people. And I, I want to say right off the bat that I hope that this is a passage of encouragement to us. Because what he says is, uh, first of all, beloved, do not be surprised at the f- fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Keep on rejoicing. There's that word again, rejoice, right? It said rejoice and jump. So that at the revelation of his glory, when Christ is revealed in his glory, you may rejoice with exultation, because if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I I, I couldn't help but see many echoes, and I think you'll you see them as well. The echoes there of blessed are you when you suffer... Uh, when you are excluded from the village, when people hate you for the name of Christ, and he says, uh, Peter says here in this passage, you will suffer. You should expect to suffer, and that is good because that connects you in a very uh, intimate and special way with the suffering of Christ. But what does that actually look like? I mean, I want to, I want to know as, as I looked at this passage. I was asking myself, what does suffering for Christ look like? I mean, um, I have never been beaten for the faith. Um, the worst okay, the, the worst story that I think that I have about suffering for the faith is uh, when I was in Ukraine. And I love Ukraine, by the way. Um, if I had, could, could choose anywhere to, to live, Ukraine would be up at the top of my list. Except there's a war going on there right now that kind of does... Um, make it a little tough to live there but um so i was uh traveling about my business there and walking across a a plaza there and i was stopped by the police which happens pretty frequently and um they stopped and they checked my documents and at that time i was uh working with an independent baptist church that was in the area there so i had a religious visa to be in the country and um it had stamped in my passport, Independent Baptist Church, you know, mission stuff. And the police officer looked at that and he's like, Oh, you Baptists, I hate you guys. You come to our country, you lie to people and you tell them all this religious stuff. I hate you guys. And he said, um, Well, I'm going to arrest you now. And I said to him, No, you're not. What do you mean? I'm not? No, you're going to have to show just cause to the. Con- and, you know, and I talked him out of arresting me at that point. But um, you know, at that moment, I, I felt very much like Peter and John, like wow, oh, I almost got persecuted. But it was an almost. It really was. You know, I almost got persecuted there. I almost went to prison for you know jail or whatever until, um, you know, until the, the commanding officer yelled at this guy for arresting me. But you know, that didn't even happen. So I I, I almost been persecuted for the faith in the way that these people have i mean that's okay so that's my best story all right i'm i'm not the guy that's going to get up here and and show you the marks on his back where he was beaten for the faith i'm not that guy but what does suffering for christ actually look like in this passage now first peter does talk about it uh about being beaten for the faith and that sort of thing a little bit but um i'm sorry this isn't very legible Sorry, that didn't really... Okay, but I'll, I'll read it for you, and you can certainly look it up in your uh, Bibles as well if you've got them. If that's too small, I'm sorry. It looked bigger when I was preparing it on the computer. It always does. Um, but it says this, First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. He says, Now, therefore, because Christ suffered in the flesh, you arm yourselves with the same insight also, because he who suffered in the flesh is through with sin. So let us not live out our remaining time in the flesh according to human desires, or or lusts, anymore, but following the will of God, for enough time has passed for the will of the Gentiles to accomplish their advancement in unreserved sensualities, lusts, drunkennesses, gluttonies, drinking parties, and disgusting idolatries. And while doing this, that is, while doing all this debauched behavior, they find it strange that you are not swept up together with them into the same river of abandon, so that they may, the, so they, they malign you all the while. They who will render an answer to the one who stands prepared to judge both the living and the dead. Um, so here, I hope you can read this a little better. Okay, there we go. Let's uh, focus on this a little bit. This word really stuck out to me. Enough time has passed for the will of the Gentiles who have accomplished their advancements. Um, that is, this is what progress looks like for those who are, uh, for those who do not yet know Christ. Um, drunkenness, gluttony, lust, finding new things to put first in their lives instead of God—that's idolatry. Um, the great humorist, Will Rogers. I don't hear very much about Will Rogers these days, but uh, I see some smiles here. So, some of you, you guys, ever heard of Will Rogers? He "Okay, good." good. Okay. Um, well, Will Rogers said, "You can't say civilization don't advance, for in every war they kill you in a new way." Um, not quite the idea here. I, I think more the idea here is something that that Gandhi said. I actually tried to look this up. I'd heard this before. I looked it up, I, I, I think this is actually an urban legend, but it's such a good quote that I have to use it anyway, um, that allegedly when a reporter asked Gandhi, he was visiting London, after he had gained a lot of fame for his activism in India, he came to London, and a reporter asked him, what do you think of Western civilization? And Gandhi responded, I think that would be a nice idea. Right? I think Western civilization would be a nice idea. And I think he was unknowingly channeling uh, the sentiments here, wasn't he, of uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, that the advancement, from God's point of view, this is divine scripture inspired, when God looks at the advancement of the world, we look at all these wonderful things that we have, but God sees the advancement of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, idolatry, gluttony. Um, The Bible calls that lifestyle disgusting. But what's really amazing to me about it is the next verse. That while doing this, they find it strange that you're not swept up together with them into the same river of abandon, and so they malign you the whole while. On the way here... We I um, couldn't help but notice, as we were driving through Chicago to get here, that we crossed the Chicago River. And every time that we, that I've, I love Chicago. And uh, I have not had occasion to be there, however, on St. Patrick's Day, which just passed, which is probably a good thing. Um, I did notice, by the way, on the way in here that they still are apparently at the McDonald's offering the St. Patrick's Day shake. They must have some extra left over or something. Uh, I don't know. But uh, or Did I say Thanksgiving? St. Patrick's Day. The St. Patrick's Day uh, shake, you know, the green shake, which is the same as the vanilla shake, except it's got green stuff in it. Um, maybe it is minty. I don't know. Um, I'm not going to try and find out. But the Chicago River, apparently every St. Patrick's Day, they dye it green, you know, so who knows what they put into this stuff, right? I've heard, and again, this is one of those urban legends that I want it to be true so badly that I'm willing to accept that it's true without really looking it up. I know there's Snopes that's going to disprove it. I don't want to look at Snopes. But I've heard, I heard that one time the Chicago River actually caught on fire, you know? Um, now, there's no doubt in my mind, that whether that story is true or not, if I were to go fishing and to catch a fish out of the Chicago River, I would not eat it. Does any, Would anyone eat a fish out of the Chicago River? Now, I'm picking on Chicago. Anyone from Chicago here? Okay. Would you eat a fish out of the Chicago River? Okay. So this is a fair assessment, isn't it? Okay. So... That was one of the images that came to mind, this, this idea of this, this river of who knows what, right? Would you go swimming in it? No. No, absolutely not. That, but that's not really the image here. That's a very tame image here. Um, how many of you have seen Dirty Jobs? Are you familiar with Dirty Jobs, the show? I the only one. Okay, a few of you. So Dirty Jobs is a show that used to be, I don't know if it's still on. I don't think it is. But it used to be on the Discovery Channel, and Mike Rowe, would go the the host would go and he would work these jobs of like you know um, you know just really difficult jobs jobs that you know tarring roofs and things and and the, the 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 kinds of jobs that you know oyster shucker you know those kinds of jobs that nobody would really want to do but they're the kinds of jobs that somebody has to do or else we're all in trouble we need somebody to do these jobs and so. Um, the one that, that stuck in my mind and is probably the only episode that I don't think I could finish watching was... I see somebody cringing already. It's like, no, what are you going to mention? It was the, the sewage plant cleaner guy. Right? Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what I did watch on that show. I'll just let your minds fill in the blanks on that, okay? But uh, and the, the different things there. But imagine... Imagine, just for a moment, and then I'll move on from this. Imagine one of the tanks that he had to clean and whatever was in that tank, and all of a sudden you look up and you see people swimming in that tank. And they're like, hey, come on in. Water's fine. That's great. Come on. And you're like, no, 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 thank you. No. And their response is, weirdo. Why don't you want to go swimming in the? You know, I'm sorry that I went right from the Chicago River to the the, the septic tank, but um, but that is the image here. That is the image, and I, I you know, I went to um, I went to a secular uh, college. I didn't go to um, a Christian college, and uh, you know, I had so many uh, flashbacks actually of of what it was like going to school with people, and I. Uh, at that time, the, the Lord, I, I had accepted Christ. The Lord had not gotten a hold of my life. Um, you know, I was i was not serving him. So I can't say that I was above any of this. I was probably swimming in the same muck with a lot of these people. But, you know, I, I cannot help but remember these guys, you know, for example, on a Saturday night, you know, they would, what they would, or, well, you know, it, was, it, was, it would be Sunday because in Indiana, I went to school at uh, Wabash College in Indiana where you cannot buy alcohol on Sunday in Indiana which is probably a good thing and so these guys who had been drinking all weekend all of a sudden their supply would run out I couldn't imagine how but their supply ran out and so they would start to doing uh, shots of scope and anything else that they could possibly find to get drunk and they couldn't and they were like hey we're doing scope shots you want to join us like you're doing what? No, I don't want to do scope shots. Or even, no, that's disgusting. Why would I want to do that? And they're like, weirdo. That's, that's what he's talking about. You know? You, you think that's, the, the, that's good? That's, the, that's a party? You're going to have a party with that? Yeah, and, the, and I'm sorry, but the kids are like, what? what is he talking about? That sounds terrible. <laughs> I hate school, yeah, exactly. But see, that is exactly what he's talking about. We used to tell these these grosser than gross jokes when I was like 12, okay? I've gotten over the grosser than gross jokes. You guys know what I'm talking about, though? You know, what's grosser than gross, and then you come up with something, and then you go, like, what's grosser than that, and then you come up with something worse. I'm not going to tell those jokes, right? I see you're about the right age, man. You're smiling. You're like, tell one, tell one. You know what's grosser than gross? Sin. Sin is grosser than gross. And that is the image that we need to have here. As followers of Christ, we, we suffer. We should suffer. Because the world considers us to be evil. Uh, if you follow Christ, you run the risk of being, anti, being labeled antisocial, or even sociopathic because you do not swim in the same polluted river of sexual immorality, of drunkenness, and idolatry as your coworkers. Uh, You know, I worked at the U.S. Department of Commerce, and, and um, I'll never forget that this intern came to interview for a job. And uh, right there in front of my desk, right there at the, at the door, the boss was like, Hey, so uh, you know, do you drink? He says to the interviewee, Do you drink? No. Do you, do you smoke? No. Do you, do you do drugs? No. Oh, I don't know if we can hire you. We don't trust people who don't smoke and drink and carouse. That was the, the wonderful boss that I worked for. Now, I, I believed very sincerely knowing him that that's, he was honest about that. You know, um, She did get the job. I don't think she lasted very long. But that is what the world thinks of us. Because uh, a faith that gives nothing it costs nothing and that suffers nothing is worth nothing if you follow christ you will be labeled intolerant because you believe john 14 6 that's when jesus said i am the way the truth and the life and no one can come to the father except through me if you believe that people are going to say wow that is so backwards you are so twisted. I had a roommate one time who asked me. Um, he was an unbeliever. He said, "Chris, have you ever thought that maybe you're an anachronism? Have you ever thought that you're an anachronism? You are stuck behind in time." And uh, I said, "Well, why do you say that?" Well, he said, "It's because you know you believe all this Jesus stuff. You know, I'm I'm a you know I've gotten over Jesus. I'm a post-Christian man." He said to me, "A post-Christian man." And, um, you know, my my response to him was, well, I used to be where you are, but I've I've gotten over that. I think you're the anachronism. I think God gave me those words to speak to him. I'm, I'm usually not that quick with stuff. So the sad part to that story is years later he took his own life. But if you follow Christ, you may be labeled homophobic because you believe that marriage refers to the institution laid down by God between a man and a woman. That when a man leaves his father and his mother, he becomes one flesh with his wife. We had the wonderful privilege yesterday of celebrating a a marriage with some friends you're uh, close to Menominee Falls Um, my college professors said hey you know uh, Paul was just backwards you know they would take Romans 1 as an example of how backwards Paul was you will be labeled that your name will be painted as evil Jesus said so if you believe that because a faith that gives nothing that costs nothing and that suffers nothing is worth nothing You'll be labeled ignorant because you cling to the, word, the truth of the Word of God rather than to the opinion of every scientist that comes along. To uproot. And I'm not, I'm not anti-science. But I am anti-the anti Word of God. When they come against them. You'll be labeled a traitor as unpatriotic because you interpret the actions of our country's leaders according to what Scripture says not according to the prevailing winds of the day. And if you, if you want proof of that, I was thinking of this a lot. I, I, I've become more and more of an Old Testament kind of guy, which I hope doesn't refer to my age. Um, stupid joke, wasn't it? Um, but, um, you know, looking at the Old Testament, it, it just floors me how few of the Old Testament prophets Saw tangible results. The prophet Jeremiah is the example that really comes to mind. He was called at a at a young age uh, to proclaim a very difficult message, a message of captivity and of exile of uh the, the people of Israel. And uh at the end of his life, when the Babylonians came in, they invaded the country, the um the leader Of the Babylonian forces there. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar at that point. It was somebody that he had sent. Comes in. And says to Jeremiah. I've got instructions to treat you well. And you can do whatever you can go. Wherever you want to go. Because the Babylonians had been also hearing this message. That Jeremiah was preaching to the Israelites. And said hey. He's telling people that they're going to go into exile. And they should submit to the Babylonian authorities. He must be pro-Babylonian. And so for his testimony of being faithful to the word of God, that, that to which God had called him, he was labeled a traitor to his people. And uh, tradition says that he died in Egypt. I, I believe that's true. He went down to Egypt, and that's where he lived out his days, outside of the promised land, not because of his own sin, but because of the sin of others, which I think is also a great reminder, uh, not great, a good reminder, that our sin always affects other people and that Jeremiah had to suffer that because of uh, the sin of others you will be called a chauvinist because you refuse to accept that uh, people have the right to murder unborn children which is something that in this country uh, we've allowed to happen you'll be called weak and I've been called this as well because, you know, you'll, you'll have people that say, how many of you have ever heard, have ever heard this? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, you know, that religion is a crutch. Your faith the, is a crutch. I still can't figure that one out, by the way. Because uh, I can't imagine any crutch that would be harder to use than what we should have to put up with in Christianity, right? Because we are supposed to suffer, for the name of Christ. It is worth being labeled all those things, though, because a faith that gives nothing, that costs nothing, and that suffers nothing is worth nothing. My hope today is that your faith does cost something, that you do experience these kinds of things at work. I've tried to select some examples that I think would resonate with uh, what we do experience at work. It's worth being labeled those things so that we may be called the elect of God a holy tribe, a kingdom of priests, a people especially set apart to God for an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, prepared before the foundation of the world. It's worth that because a faith that gives nothing, that costs nothing, that suffers nothing, is worth nothing. The question that I find myself asking myself continually as I, as I encounter people who pay so much more for their faith than I do, is what is my faith worth? What is my faith worth? And that's the question that uh, I want to leave with us today. What is your faith worth? Because verse 5 in First Peter uh, chapter 4 gives us um, some great encouragement. All of us will render an answer to the one who stands ready to judge both the living and the dead. All of us will give an answer to God. And that is either really good news or that is really bad news. And it depends on our relationship with the judge. It depends on our relationship with God. My hope today is that all of you will be uh, leaving here going, That is wonderful that I will be giving an answer to God. I know him. When I stand before God, I can say, I have been waiting my entire life to see you face to face. It is wonderful to be here in your court. That is fantastic. So, I hope this is a message of good news. I hope that as uh, I've talked about this this difficult passage, that you can look at this and you can say, yes, I'm going through some of these things. And you know what? Peter uh, looked... And, and saw in the lives of the people that he was ministering to, we would need this encouragement. So I hope this is encouragement to you. If it's not encouragement to you, if if you're looking at this going, man, you know, um, I think I've gone swimming in the Chicago River. Oh, there it is again. I'm sorry. I shouldn't pick on the Chicago But I, I, I think I've gone, uh, I, I think the other part applies to me. Well, I have good news for you, too. That there is an exit ramp. There, there, There is a ladder that you can climb out of that cesspool. And it's called Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You know that's good news? That no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Because if there were many ways to God, how would you know that you were on the right path? But the fact that there's only one path is really good news. Because you know that you've either got that path or you don't have that path that's good news as well. There is a way out of this. There, if, if you are experiencing this kind of lifestyle, there is a way out of it. And the question is, what is your relationship to the judge? And what is your faith worth? Because a faith that gives nothing, that costs nothing, that suffers nothing, is worth nothing. But it is my hope today that your, way, that your faith would be found to be, my faith, our faith, would be found to be much more precious than gold and silver. And so be encouraged by that today. Um, I suppose this would be a good time for me to close in prayer, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these words of encouragement from uh, First Peter, that none of us has to stand before God without an answer. All of us will render an answer, and Lord, may that answer be our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless us today. Strengthen us in our faith. Help us to stand worthy of the calling with which you have called us. We thank you that you have not left us unprepared, that you've given us Jesus Christ. You've given us the indwelling Holy Spirit to teach us and to enable us to do these things that we are not able to do ourselves. We thank you for not being able to do these things ourselves, but that that you've given us the Holy Spirit to to guide us and enable us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, because we can. Amen.